0: So my name's Carrie Gilbert, my wife, uh, Sherry, and uh, my daughter's somewhere, probably sitting next to Zach. (laughs) Yeah, there she is, and my son's uh, not here. But anyway, before I came to Melanie Park Church in 1999, that's 21 years ago, I was consumed with living a moralistic life. I wanted to do the right things, yet my efforts failed. I was stuck I was stuck in the rationalization of my sinful patterns of lust and pornography. I would rationalize. Well, at least I'm not, and you can fill in the blank. I judged others as worse than I was, justifying my actions and thoughts, but men in this body of Christ came alongside me challenged me, pushed me into the scriptures, and the Lord began to free me from these patterns of sin. Through the study of his word, I began to find my identity in Christ instead of my failed attempts at moralism. As I began regen, the Lord had already worked mightily in my life over two decades, and though things had changed in my life, I was still burdened by temptations and periodic failures. Through the regen process, which hear me clearly, is really nothing more than directed discipleship through gospel-centered scriptures, the Lord revealed me to the root issue within my heart that seemed to drive my sinful thoughts. The approval of man people had become a pervasive idol in almost every area of my life. This deep-seated need for approval created a heart-level perspective related to rejection and criticism that led to my sinful thoughts. My issue wasn't really the issue. The Lord revealed to me that my sin was a painful symptom of a much deeper problem, and that problem was hidden deep within my heart. Through the example of other testimonies, this was easier at my kitchen table. (laughs) Through the example of other testimonies, the careful support of friends and mentors, the security and love of our region men's group, the Lord created a safe place for discussion of these hard issues through vulnerability and confession. And I too, Scott, learned that I'm not terminally unique. Because of Christ's work in my heart, I realize that my true identity rests in him alone. There is nothing good that exists in me apart from Christ. Romans 17, 8, 7, 18, sorry Romans 7, 18 says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of good is not. And though I accepted Christ's gift of salvation, In 1981, my challenge has been the daily surrender to his will for my life. Because of Christ's work in my heart, I have embraced my identity as a loved, chosen, accepted heir who has been set apart for the good works prepared beforehand. I am not finished. Rather, Christ is not finished with me. He continues to show me that daily surrendering to his will through the urging of his Holy Spirit empowers me to love people as they need to be loved, specifically Sherry, Kate, and Corin. Thank you.
1: I am Julie Haverdink. I have a new life in Christ. I'm recovering from pride, control, and the approval of man. Prior to region, I was always busy, helping and doing in an effort to avoid feeling and dealing with my emotions. I would find my worth in my work and performance as a wife and a mom. <clears throat> my view of myself was determined by how others responded to me. If my kids were happy and successful, then I was a good mom. When my kids were experiencing difficulty or were upset at me, I felt like a failure. Our marriage was struggling. I was hurt and resentful, walking on eggshells around my husband in an effort to control his emotions and behavior. In desperation, I began meeting with Lisa Huddleston, who had walked a very similar road in her marriage. She lovingly listened, encouraged, and challenged me. During this time, God began doing a work in my heart. When we were asked to be a part of the pilot group for regeneration, our marriage was at a breaking point. Even though I was confident we needed to say yes, I was so scared. I knew that God was going to break down the walls that I built in my heart and reveal the deep areas of my heart which were hidden from others, areas that even I was unaware of. The first step in region is to admit that we are powerless over addictions, brokenness, and sinful patterns. In our own power, our life is unmanageable. Romans 7:18 says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. My desire is to be a good wife and mom, but I was attempting to carry out these desires in my own strength. I was working so hard to fix the brokenness in myself, Michael, and my kids that I was controlling, critical, and prideful. Our actions indicate our faith, and my actions revealed a lack of faith and a lack of trust in Christ. Psalm 103, 2 through 5 states Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. This verse reminds me that it is God who is in control. He forgives, he heals, he redeems, he crowns me with love and mercy, and he satisfies me. I was challenged to look at my marriage and my family and ask, do I trust that God is good? Do I trust that his plans, his ways, and his timing are better than mine. I was also challenged to look at my own relationship with Christ and ask, what is satisfying me? Am I looking to know and love God, or do I just want him to fix my circumstances? Working through the inventory process revealed the depth of my sin, but it also reassured me of God's great love. God knows everything. He's not surprised, disappointed, or frustrated with me. He relentlessly pursued me and loves me so much that he sent his son to die for me. God has been so gracious to me, but I have not always been gracious with myself or others. When I consider the abundant love, forgiveness, and grace that God has shown to me, how can I not be loving, forgiving, and gracious to those who have hurt me? Peace is not the absence of problems. Peace is the presence of Jesus. Many of the situations in my family and my marriage have not changed, but Christ has changed me. I am quicker to recognize my sinful patterns. I've learned to abide in him, spending time in his word, surrendering control to him, and resting in his promises. I'm finding my identity and worth in Christ, not those around me. I've seen the value of vulnerability and community. I am desperately dependent on him, Sometimes moment to moment and I'm relying on the power of the Holy Spirit in me as I trust Christ more I'm experiencing his comfort guidance peace satisfaction strength and joy Second Corinthians 12 9 through 10 says my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness I'm content with weaknesses insults hardships persecutions and calamities for when I am weak then I am strong My weaknesses keep me dependent on God, and God is using me despite my weaknesses to bring him glory. God's grace gives peace and contentment beyond my circumstances. If I could encourage you with one thing, I would say that even though we are all broken people, we are fully known and deeply loved by God. God is in the business of changing hearts. He's changed mine. When love is difficult, When love is difficult, remember that God can rescue any heart to heal any wound. I now realize that my job is to remain humble and teachable as I faithfully trust Christ, obey his word, and love others. I am Julie Haverdink, and I have a new life in Christ. I'm recovering from pride, control, and the approval of man, and I strive to surrender, trust, and daily depend on him.
2: a great morning. Thank you, Carrie. Thank you, Julie, for your boldness. I don't want to leave anybody out, so if you would, take out your bulletin. And there is an insert there. On one side of it, it's entitled, Assess Your Personal Struggles and Hurts. So if you would, take that out. And I'm going to give you just a couple of minutes. Uh, If you have something to write with, great. If not, make a mental note. But go down this list that you see in front of you And I want you to put a check next to any box which describes something that you are currently or have historically struggled with. So just take a few minutes to do that now. Look at each one of those and identify anything that you are currently or have historically struggled with. You will not be sharing your answers, this is not a test. But I would ask that you be honest as you work through that list. So you may not have had time to work through everything on the list, but let me just ask you this, based on what you've done so far, raise your hand if you've checked at least one box. Okay, keep your hands up. If your hand is not raised, please check the box, pride, and then raise your hand. Okay, you can put your hands down. So based on the feedback, it's obvious that we've all got issues. I remember when I did this exercise the first time at Watermark Church among a group of people that attended a conference there, and I remember just kind of going through the list. I think the list was actually a little bit longer, and I remember checking boxes, and I remember thinking in the back of my head, Okay, is there a quota on how many boxes you can check before you're disqualified to be a pastor? I mean, it's a little unsettling, right? Very humbling when you stop and look at what's on that list. But it's also comforting, isn't it? In some ways, because it reminds us that we all have issues, as you've heard already. No one's terminally unique. We're all in process. No one's arrived. At one level or another, we all, every single person in this room has hurts, We have habits, and we have hangups. A hurt might be a wrong done to you, something that was hurtful, or it could be a harm that you caused in someone else's life. A habit is an unhealthy, could be a sinful coping strategy that you've employed in your life and routinely go back to in order to cover any painful or difficult situation in your life. A hang-up is that annoying obstacle that just keeps showing up at the most inopportune times in your life. It could be a temper that flares. It could be a fear that overwhelms. But it's something that just happens kind of in the, where you're blindsided in the midst of everyday life. Hurts, habits, hang-ups. We have all got them. And no one is immune. But here's the good news, and boy, if you don't hear anything else this morning, please hear this. If you're in Christ, even though you have issues in your life, your life does not have to be ruled by any of those issues. Did you hear that? It's important. That's good news. If you belong to Christ, even though you have issues in your life, your life does not have to be ruled by any one of those issues. The biblical basis of that truth, there's many, but one of them is Romans 6 6 that says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. John in his gospel tells us that if Christ has set you free, then you are free indeed. And yet, here's the struggle that I have and the difficulty that uh, we face in our world today. There are so many Christians that do not experience the reality of this truth in their life. They've been set free. That's a promise of Scripture, and yet they still live imprisoned. The image that comes to my mind would be like somebody who's sitting in a jail cell, alone, afraid, hungry while they clutch the key to the door in their hand, but cannot move. I think all too often Christians don't experience freedom because they're locked behind the doors of guilt and shame. They pretend to be okay, but the reality is those hurts, those habits, those hang-ups that we've all experienced, we all admitted to that, they oftentimes create wounds in our life. And those wounds are hurtful. But sometimes we pretend that it's okay and we just wrap a bandage over the wound so nobody can see it. But the reality is left untreated, hidden wounds only get worse with time. We've been talking about the ministry of Regen the last couple of weeks because we believe this is a tool that God can use to bring healing from those wounds in your life. The, the founders of this are at Watermark Church, and this is something that they say as they talk about Regen, and here's what they say. They say, we all experience brokenness in life. We've established that this morning in this room, so that's true, right? We all experience brokenness in life. At Regeneration, we believe anyone can experience new life and forgiveness by working through steps of healing given to us by God in the Bible. All who are tired, broken, or hurting are invited to come and find recovery in Christ. The testimonies you heard last week, the ones that you've heard this morning, and we'll hear later uh, after I finish, all are from people who have found this to be true in their lives. And I want you to keep in mind, as has mentioned, these were people invited to be a part of a pilot group. Okay, So all they were doing was being asked to be a part of a team who might help evaluate the value of this ministry in the life of our church. And yet, through the daily curriculum that we all walk through together, every single person without exception was led to a new place of freedom in Christ. Region will not change your life. But it will lead you to the one who can. So yes, we believe, everyone in our church without exception, could benefit from this ministry. But the reason we believe that's true is because the principles of which this ministry is founded on apply to everything we do in ministry in this church. My good friend Kyle Kegler, when we were talking about Regen and describing some of the heart behind it, he said, look, Todd, it's really simple. All Regen is is a deep dive into the heart of the gospel. That's all it is. Regen will not change your life, but it will lead you to the life-changing truth of the gospel, and that very much can. Last week, we talked about the context of ministry, and that applies to everything we do in the life of our church. We talked about what it means to be a compelling community for Christ, a a Christ-centered community is the context for the life-changing truth of the gospel. That's the content, (laughs) You see, isolation, as we talked about last week, is where Satan does some of his most deceptive and destructive work. That's where he wants us to be. He wants to move us away from the protection of community so that he can do his deceptive and destructive work in our lives through our isolation. But Christ centered community is where people can encounter Jesus Christ. I probably should have given more emphasis to this last week when I talked about the commitment to this kind of community in a culture of individualism, (laughs) not to mention our own personality traits, right? For example, I am an introvert. I like to be alone. (laughs) It is difficult for me to be in big groups of people for any length of time. It stresses me out. That's the truth. But we were created, every single one of us, regardless of our personality trait, we were created to flourish in the context of community. So there are times that I need to put aside my preferences and do what's right. Even when it's hard. Just a few weeks ago, we had a small group meeting on Sunday evening. And I told Terry, I do not want to go. It was not too long after my brother had died. (laughs) and I just didn't want to be around people i prefer to sit alone in my house. And that's okay sometimes, but every once in a while, it's necessary to do the right thing and not give in to your preferences. And Terry said, I think it's the right thing for us to go tonight. Since my wife is often right, I did what she said. <laughs> and I want you to know, when I showed up to our group that night, I was honest and I said, I just need to tell you, I really don't want to be here. This is really hard for me. And they met me with such grace and compassion. Because true healing, true healing has to take place in the context of loving community. And I'll tell you right now that the love I received from those good friends that night was far better than anything that would have happened to me alone in my room. So yes, she was right again. God designed us to flourish in the context of community, a community that is saturated with the life-changing truth of the gospel. That's the content. So Christ-centered community is the context. Gospel-saturated truth is the content. But knowing this truth and being transformed by this truth are two totally different things. Because we grow up in the Bible Belt, and I bet every single person in this room could articulate the gospel pretty well. But being changed by that truth is something totally different. And so this morning, we're going to talk about the life-changing truth of the gospel. Before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we do come before you this morning, we want to do so humbly. We want to do so with a teachable heart, vulnerable lives knowing that we can hide all we want to, but the truth of the matter is we never hide from you. And that's a good thing because you are good and gracious. You are especially kind to those who are in hard places. A broken reed or a a soft reed you will not break. And so, Lord, we just come to you in places of vulnerability and we ask that you do a redeeming work in our hearts through the life-changing truth of the gospel. Help us see that more clearly this morning. Pray this in your name. Amen. So if you want to, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. And here's how I want to do this this morning. Obviously, if we're going to talk about the life-changing truth of the gospel, we could spend all of the fall unpacking that, Right? And so this morning, I'm just going to skip on some of the highlights, and I want to highlight four of those truths. You see them in your bulletin that I think are really important to the life-changing truth of the gospel. They include a new people, a new path, a new power, and a new freedom. And the first thing I want to do is listen to how Matthew describes the gospel ministry of Jesus in Matthew chapter four, verse twenty-three. Matthew speaking, talking to, about the life and ministry of Jesus says, And he, Jesus, went through all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming, here it is, the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. This kingdom theme, if you look at the gospel of Matthew, is prominent throughout this gospel. It has roots in the Jewish expectation of a, of a messianic kingdom, a kingdom established by the promised Messiah. And that kingdom will include a new people who are set apart to accomplish God's intent in the world. And Jesus is proclaiming, as, as Matthew is saying, He is going about in every city, in all the synagogues, and He's proclaiming that the promise of that kingdom has arrived. And notice how that message is attached to his miracles. Because along with the announcement, it goes on and says, and he healed every disease and every affliction among the people. So what's happening here is that Jesus is demonstrating his power to rule in this promised kingdom. In other words, the kingdom has arrived. And it exists under the righteous rule of Christ. So for anyone to enter into this promised kingdom, they do so by putting their faith and trust in Christ. They must recognize their own need for healing through His gracious forgiveness. And having been reconciled to God through Christ, then they then become ministers of reconciliation. That's their purpose in the world. We see uh, Paul talk about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, where he says, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. We belong to another kingdom, but we have been sent in this world to represent that kingdom. So that God, making His appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So this life-changing truth of the gospel includes a new people, a people who belong to God through faith in Jesus Christ, having been set apart for this divinely ordained purpose to be ministers of reconciliation in the world. But that purpose can only be fulfilled if we walk a new path if our lives are distinctive from the world that is around us. Look at Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. In verse 15. Paul Paul speaking says, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of like nature with you and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in it. We bring you good news. We bring you the gospel that you should turn from these vain things. Now, in the context, the people are so impressed with Paul and Barnabas and the miracles that they are performing, that they are wanting to offer sacrifices to them as they would to one of their pagan gods. In fact, they're saying that Barnabas must be Zeus and that Paul must be Hermes but Paul is speaking to them and he says no 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 you've got it all wrong you need to understand that Christians don't continue in their old way of life they walk a new path we don't worship false idols we worship the one true living God in fact Paul tells them you should turn from vain things and you should put your trust in this one true living God See, this is an important part of the gospel message, being willing to walk a new path. The word vain here describes a a fruitless path. It's an an empty pursuit. And so Paul is saying that the, the gospel requires us to move in a new direction. You see, the path you pursue is ultimately the one you believe will bring fulfillment in your life. So if you think that money will bring you happiness, that is a path that you're going to pursue. If you're trying to find life in a relationship, that is a path that you're going to pursue. But if there's any path that you take that does not lead you to Jesus, it will be an empty pursuit. It will be full of vain things. But this new path is not something that we can do in our own power. Turn to 1 Thessalonians 1. One. We looked at this verse when we went through First Thessalonians in the spring, and Paul, when he begins writing this letter to the Thessalonians, says, beginning in verse 4 of chapter 1, for we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you, because our gospel, there it is, because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. The gospel introduces us to a new people who choose to walk down a new path according to a new power. The gospel includes the promise of the power that is found through the Holy Spirit. Jesus describes it this way when He's talking to His disciples and He wants them to understand the, the power of the Holy Spirit. He says in verse 26 of chapter 14, He says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So here Jesus is describing the, the powerful work of the Spirit in the life of the believer, and he says there's two things that are important. One is that it will teach you, it will reveal things to you. The second is that he will remind you. Now, I don't know about you, but I know in my life, the Spirit does a whole lot more teaching and, or reminding than He does revealing. Because here's the reality. I don't have any trouble learning new things. I struggle to apply what I already know to be true. I need the ministry of the reminding work of the Spirit in my life every single day. And that's especially true during difficult seasons of life. Because again, I don't know about you, but in those seasons, I often lose sight of the truths that I once held to so closely. And I need to be reminded of those truths. That's why we needed to show up at small group that night. is because I needed to be reminded of the truths in the midst of my grief and despair. But all too often in seasons of struggle, we try to just push through in our own strength. Earlier, I talked about sitting in that jail cell where you're alone, you're afraid, you're hungry, and yet you're holding the key to your escape. It just doesn't make a lot of sense, but yet that's how many Christians live the life that they have in our world today when Christ has made them free. Well, in a similar way, when I think about this, I think of somebody who has a fan and they're, they're hot and they're sweating and they need to cool off and they're trying to spin the fan as quickly as they can and it just doesn't work, when all that they have to do is plug the fan in. Just plug it into the wall. Because that fan works a whole lot better when it's connected to a power source than it does when you're manually trying to make it go as fast as you can. And the very same thing is true in our spiritual life as well. God doesn't want us to work harder. He wants us to depend on Him more. And I think this is something that we all have to learn. Julie mentioned this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verse 18, where it says, I, uh, excuse me, verse 8, um, he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. So he's got a struggle, he's got a difficulty in his life, but he, the Lord said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul goes on to say, I will rather boast more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ might rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. The greater our dependence upon the Lord, the greater His power in us. His power is perfected in our weakness Not in our strength. It happens most often in the midst of our struggle. When we come to the end of ourselves where we have nowhere else to turn but Him. That's when we find that power most evidently at work in our lives. Relying on His power to to lead us into a new freedom. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1. It says, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. The life-changing truth of the gospel includes a new people who walk down a new path according to a, a new power that ultimately leads to a new freedom. Paul says later in Galatians 5, if we walk by the Spirit, we will not carry out the desires of the flesh. That's the new freedom promised by the gospel. Made possible because when you have died to Christ, you are no longer enslaved to sin. As we established in the beginning, yeah, we've all got issues. But the good news of the gospel says that your life is no longer ruled by any of those issues see, true freedom is found when you have the courage to, to live a transparent life. That's what's so powerful in the small group of Regen over the last year, is there was transparency and vulnerability, and the Spirit of God worked mightily in the lives of the people to bring them to new places of freedom. See, we need to come to a place where we love the truth more than we fear the pain. Somewhere along the way, we have to decide to no longer hide In guilt and shame. 1 John 1, 7 through 9 says, If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of his son Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Now, if we say we have no sin, if we go down that checklist and you don't have any boxes checked, well, here's the reality. You're deceiving yourself. And the truth is not in you. But if you confess your sin, God is faithful and just to forgive your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. See, God wants us to flourish. He wants us to flourish in the context of a Christ-centered community that is saturated with the life-changing truth of the gospel. He wants us to thrive within the context of of a new people who are mutually committed to walking down a new path according to a shared power of the Holy Spirit that indwells each and every one of us and leads us into new places of freedom. And we pray that this becomes increasingly true of the life and ministry of this church family. And so with that being said, I'm going to invite my sweet bride to come up and share her story of transformation as we finish up this morning. Terry? Terry?
3: My name is Terry, and I am experiencing new life in Christ. I am recovering from seeking the approval of man and comfort. Before participating in the Regeneration Bible study, I found myself stuck in a dark place, ruled by guilt and shame. I struggled to find significance and meaning in my life, and I always felt frustrated. Although I was spending time in God's word, seeking his help, my circumstances were overwhelming me. Todd and I had been praying about some life decisions and were convinced that God was calling me to do the hardest thing I could think of. I could not imagine how I would ever do it. I began walking the road of obedience, following God's leading, expecting things to smooth out. I thought God would change me so that I would have all that I needed to do this work that he had me in the middle of, that I would have all the patience and ability to carry out this plan of his but it didn't happen. I was irritable, impatient, quick to anger. I was failing at daily life, and it wasn't long before anxiety, guilt, and shame were ruling my thought life. After taking a hard look at my past experiences and hurts while working through Regen, I realized that for most of my life, I've cared too much about what others think of me. This has been so much a part of who I am and how I act that I didn't even know it. Everyone's opinions were ruling me and motivating me to act and respond in ways to maintain approval. Through Regen, I learned that this is a worship problem. I was placing more worth on the approval of man than God. Another idol that God revealed in my life was comfort. I would describe this as things going well. I was looking for my circumstances to change, and when they didn't, and when I couldn't change my behavior in those circumstances, I found myself in deep despair. God showed me that I was working to manage my sin instead of trusting him. Step one in region is admit you're powerless over your sin. Romans 7.18 says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do good, but not the ability to carry it out. You see, God never intended for me to bear the burden of managing my sin. He managed my sin. He took care of that on the cross. But somewhere along the way, I had lost sight of this. I I didn't realize I was walking around in death clothes. Todd spoke of death clothes when he taught on Lazarus a few weeks ago. Death clothes are unhealthy, sinful habits and ways of responding to life that we've formed over the years from our experiences. Those clothes are a heavy yoke of slavery and are not from God. Seeking the approval of man and comfortable circumstances were sinful habits that I was covered up in, not to mention guilt and shame. And God was doing his holy work of stripping them off. A couple of verses in the Bible that talk about freedom are in Galatians. Chapter 5, verse 1 says, It was for freedom that Christ set you free. And then Paul continues in verse 13 saying, For you were called to freedom. I used to read these verses and think, I wonder what that feels like. And now he is showing me. God is teaching me that he desires my relationship with him, not my inadequate efforts to fix my behavior. I began to have quiet times with my Heavenly Father, not for him or for things to go smoothly. I began to read scripture, not to apply it as a fix, but to hear it as a love letter to me. I began to find my satisfaction and peace, not in things going well for me, but in him. He is enough. Being satisfied in him is where true freedom is found. Because of Christ's work, I am no longer working to control my sin. I can recognize when I'm longing for the approval of man or for my circumstances to look differently. But now I go to God with those thoughts in dependence and in relationship. So today, I am living more freely than ever before. It's not because of an absence of struggle. It's an absence of enslavement. You see, my circumstances are still hard. But I am not the same. God changed me. I am walking in freedom, trusting God in the difficult times, and continuing every day to keep him as the only idol in my heart. Galatians 5.1 says, It was for freedom that Christ set you free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. My name is Terry, and I am experiencing new life in Christ. I'm recovering from seeking the approval of man and comfort.
2: We're going to close in a song to finish up our time this morning. But I want you to know, we've been talking about Regen the last couple of weeks because it's a new ministry that we're launching in the fall, and we're excited about the impact that it has had in our lives, and we can't keep that to ourselves. (laughs) So we are uh, pleased to share that with you. But I want to repeat what I've said several times, that there's nothing unique about Regen as a ministry that we shouldn't be employing in every ministry we do in the life and ministry of this church. It's grounded on the principles of Christ-centered community and saturated truth of the gospel. If there's anything that we do in this church, those two things should be true about children's ministry. Those things should be true about student ministry, about small group ministry, about sundry morning worship. Everything we should do should be grounded in the truth of Christ-centered community and the life-changing truth of the gospel. And so as we finish singing this morning, I would just ask you to sing with that heart in mind because you know what? It should be in every song we sing as well. It should be everything we do in the life of this church because we believe Jesus is the one who transforms lives. Amen? Let's stand together and sing. So let me just tell you this morning that if you have been here for 20 plus years, two weeks, or this is your first morning, you are all being invited to dive deep into the life-changing truth of the gospel. And we want to do that together as a Christ-centered community. And we want to see lives continue to be transformed and experiencing new freedoms because of all that has been made possible through him. Man, does our world need that truth right now? Absolutely. Then let's start right here. And then let's go be ambassadors for Christ in the world in which he's called us, set apart as his people to carry out his work as ministers of reconciliation. Amen? Amen. Lord, thank you so much for the time this morning. Thank you for those incredible testimonies of truth and change. You are still in the business of changing lives, even lives of people who know you who may not have yet experienced the fullness of what you have been made possible through you. And so, Lord, help us to increasingly grow You knew when you told us that you would send your spirit to not just reveal new things, but to remind us of old things. And boy, it's the reminding that we really need, Lord. So would you keep reminding us and keep drawing us closer to you as we put our faith and trust in the one true living God. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Thank you. Have a great day.